welcome to episode 67 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 8th of July 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelim. Hey. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. As promised, we're back with a full house, and we will be talking about the Raspberry Pi 4 later, because a couple of us have got one. But before that, let's get into some news. And Phelim, please make this quick for once. <laughs> All your fucking KDA bollocks. Ah, you love it. Um, so the KDE Usability and Productivity Sprint was also along with the Plasma Sprint uh, a few weeks back, and that allowed them to build a proper, decent testing facility for them so they can actually test out new versions of Plasma. Um, it was a crufty load of hacks and scripts that you had to do. But now when you build Plasma, if you build one of the beta releases, it now inserts itself into your login manager and you can test away to your heart's content on both the X11 and uh, Wayland versions. So that's quite handy. Um, while they're at that, they did a lot of fix-ups for Kmail, uh, Akinadi, and the contacts stuff. So that is all still alive and good, which makes me very happy because that's what I use for my email and calendar. So I'm glad that it's not going away and some trendy uh, version has not actually overtaken it with less of features and not working. So it's good that they're still working on that. Um, and there's a new library lib. I don't know how you say this. KGAPI. Um, essentially, it's uh, team drives for Google Drive um, that's going to integrate in with uh, contact. So that might mean that I can edit our show doc through that somehow. I have yet to look into it fully, but I look forward to it. And uh, latest version of Plasma 5.17 that will be coming out soon. They've been doing work to make the plasmoids more um, lean and robust, uh, speeding things up there again, uh, design them to work on non laptop desktop form factors which is interesting because i think they're slowly proceeding towards internet of things slash phone type stuff um there's a whole lot of uh, wayland improvements as well and uh working on the touchscreen mode for uh plasmoids and other uh, gui application bits so it's obviously got to be something to do with a phone or a screen or something that's not a pc essentially what, no exciting K itinerary news? No, I held back this month. <laughs> but they did integrate SNCF ticket reading in to email, so that's good. So very important when traveling through France. Oh, and I should say that it, that was all sponsored by the Slimbook people down in Spain. Uh, Valencia, I think it was. So uh, top marks to them for doing that. Um, all right, well, shall we talk about Mozilla then and how they are nominated for Internet Villain of the Year, along with Article 13 and Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need to not talk about Trump, otherwise we'll get more hate mail. This is a first taster of life in post-Brexit Britain. I think <laughs> um, they should really be recommending us use Internet Explorer, and I'm sure they will. It's called Edge now, right? And it's based <laughs> on Chrome. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Internet Explorer 4. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, no, 6, surely. Come on, let's get with the times. Yes, insane, insane. So this is DNS because because of Mozilla pushing for DNS over HTTPS, which is obviously going to make it, their lives very difficult um, in trying to keep the UK's censorship laws where um, kids can't access adult content and, and the ISPs have been forced to police this. Um, with DNS requests going over HTTPS, of course, that means that they're no longer open and your ISP theoretically can't snoop on the sites that you're loading 
Yeah, I think that if any of the UK ISPs are intending to implement the the porn filtering or the site blocking that the government has mandated, uh, if they intend to do that through um, DNS records, then they've already failed because, you know, everybody knows, well, not everybody, a lot of people know, put 1.1.1.1 in instead and, you know, you'll bypass that immediately. So I think that the ISPA's assertion that this is going to block that filtering somehow is is wrong. Uh, and also, the, yes, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head with what you said about um, blocking them from snooping. This is a, an industry body made up of the large ISPs in the UK um, who would be very interested in mining that data for what websites people are looking up and perhaps monetizing it somehow. And this effectively removes that um, revenue stream. Perhaps I am being a bit too cynical, but I-, I think it's fair to say that no no ISP in the UK would consider implementing these blocks via DNS. And so why else do they care so much? I don't think you are being too cynical. I'm sad to say. I mean, to actually choose Mozilla of all people, <laughs> whose kind of raison d'etre is the opposite of what they're accusing them of, is is a, is just it's crazy. Um, I suppose it will have an effect on certain people. Maybe the way, maybe the way it's reported in the press, it's like negative publicity is good publicity for them. But um, yeah, it's shocking. There was a fun story about Andrews and Arnold, who are a UK ISP and are both the best and the most expensive ISP in the UK. They donated 2000 and well nearly 3000 pounds to um to Mozilla uh, instead of be- paying their membership fees to the ISPA. So good on them. Yeah, that is excellent actually. I, um at Linux Voice we used to Andrews and Arnold used to pay for <laughs> advertising space one of the few companies that ever did and we were terrible <laughs> at selling it but for the first time in my whole life actually we got um we had a complaint from the advertising standards agency about their ad which i can't remember exactly but it it was something like we don't we don't give an fsck about content filtering or something like that um and we had to go through the whole process of um defending its use and the 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 typical readership and andrews and arnold are fantastic all the way through it was it was what could have been a negative experience um you know, turned into a positive experience. So I wholeheartedly agree with your endorsement. I think the argument was that, you know, children could pick up the magazine and then misinterpret the the (laughs) fixing your file system for a bad word. (laughs) That's all right, because those Linux mags are on the top shelf anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Too right. I I think we argued that you needed to be an adult to afford a subscription. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, kids these days wouldn't even know what a magazine is. Yeah. They try and fucking swipe when they see one, don't they? <laughs> These babies do, if the gifts are to be believed. So let's talk about the Pinebook Pro. Now, I am somewhat influenced by this because it turns out that Lucas from Pine64 lives pretty close to me. Well, he's in London at least. It's, uh, I don't know, not too far. And so he invited me for drinks. It turned out that I had food poisoning and couldn't drink anything but water, but I still got to hang out with him and get hands-on with the Pinebrook Pro prototype. And um, he gave me a couple of boards as well to play with, one of which has actually got the same SOC and everything as the Pinebrook Pro, so that's pretty cool. been playing with that. So I am not objective about this. But nevertheless, the Pinebrook Pro does look really fucking cool, and it's coming soon, and the pre-orders are going to start... Uh, in a couple of weeks, by the looks of things. What makes it a pro? It's black. Is there anything else? 
How much more black can you get? None, none more black. Um, it is just totally different, really. It's a bigger screen, much smaller bezels, completely new innards, basically, uh, four gigs of RAM, a much faster SOC. And the claim is that it's daily driver worthy. Now, obviously, I haven't had much time with it, but it is significantly faster than the original Pinebook that I've got with me. Does the volume go to 11? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But I saw various ROMs running on it, various images, um, including Chrome OS, uh, well, Chromium OS, which was really fast and you know obviously limited, but very fast, and um, a couple of Linux-based images. And it seemed to be able to handle YouTube and stuff with lots of acceleration and everything. It had a few bugs, the, the version that I was playing with briefly in the pub there. But it's shaping up to be a very good device, I reckon. And it's going to be $200. I think we talked about it. Did we talk about it last episode or was that the phone we were talking about? No, it was the phone. All right. Yeah, so uh, pre-orders start July 25th anyway. And oh, it's got these um, privacy switches as well. I'm too American these days. Oh, I said privacy. I should say privacy. Anyway, uh, I think it's F1, F2, and F3. Hold them down, and then it um, can turn off the webcam and mic and stuff. So uh, that's pretty cool. That sounds good, but I read the article about this, and it talks about it being controlled by firmware in the keyboard controller. Is that firmware open? Do we know? I'd be very surprised if it was. I should have asked about that, actually. I will ask about it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, it, it, yes, it is, it's an amazing feature that you can literally power down those devices from the keyboard uh, over like a GPIO or something. Um, but it would be nice to know if the, the source is available for that, um, that firmware. Yeah, because if it's not and your keyboard's running proprietary software, then who knows what it's doing. <laughs> well, if it was me, I'd make it do the opposite. Turn on secret recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what is this also doing your keylogger feature? <laughs> yes, yeah. I also had a hands-on with the PinePhone uh, dev kit um, and also a hands-on with the dummy PinePhone, which doesn't sound that interesting, but to actually get to the point where you've got all your PCP designs and everything is you know means you are quite far along if you, if you can have and this was a proper dummy phone that was the right weight and everything and it felt quite nice it didn't feel super modern and it's a bit thick compared to it's it's basically i have got a OnePlus 3t in a case a quite thin case and it was about as thick as that without a case so it's not you know it's not super slim like modern or whatever but that's only going to be 150 dollars that phone so you know, what do you want yeah um, but the software that I saw running on the dev kit was, uh, well, buggy and not ready. And, you know, Pine64 are the first to admit that that software is not ready. You know, it's being worked on by various communities. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a while. Uh, I don't know exactly when they're going to ship the phone and what state the software is going to be in. But as usual, they're not trying to say it's this big flashy thing that's going to take on Android and um you know, iOS, so, you know, fair play to them. But I'm hoping to get the final Pinebook Pro at some point fairly soon. In the article, he actually talks about me and some other people, but doesn't name us. But yes, if you read that article, I am one of the people who had their hands on with it. And I don't know uh, when exactly I'll get my hands on the finished product, but because he's so close to me, hopefully it'll be fairly soon and I will report back on that as and when. But yeah, looking good. 
Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call them, in data centers all over the world with really fast network and really fast SSDs. And you can choose from one of the distros that they offer, like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and CentOS, or FreeBSD, or you can use your own custom image. And you can take those distros and build them up exactly how you want. Remember, you've got complete root access to these. Or you can go for one of their one-click apps, like LAMP and LEMP stacks and WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to huge amounts of RAM and huge numbers of CPU cores, so you can deploy exactly how much you need for the application that you're using. If you need more storage, they've got block storage and object storage, which is really easy to attach to your droplet and just get going straight away. They have cloud firewalls, so you can block network traffic before it even gets to your VM, amazing backups, and a great Teams feature that allows multiple people to work on one droplet without having to share passwords. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $50 credit, and get started. That's do.co slash LNL. So I take it you've all installed Debian 10 Buster, have you? If it's on a Raspberry Pi, does that count? <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking about that in a bit. But yeah, so it was released uh, at the weekend, and uh, I've been trying it out, and it has actually got some cool new features. It supports proper secure boot now and app armor and stuff, um, but otherwise it's just a more modern Debian, really. It's funny, like we kind of all use Debian in a way by using Ubuntu. You know, we use a Debian derivative, but... I don't know. I just why don't we use Debian proper? Well, will you're not allowed to probably. But uh, I started out with Debian proper, and then you know, but this is a long time ago, of course. But then Ubuntu was like Debian proper, but a bit more up to date and a bit less fiddling. You know, you didn't have to configure as much stuff. I think the the holdback for most people for Debian is just the age of the packages. Um, or the perceived age of the packages. A new release comes out, everything's up to date, but then it doesn't change for a long time. Yeah, 25 months is a long time to sit looking at the same desktop. I mean, if you if you run X-Face or something like that, that's fine because it doesn't change even if you have the newest version of it. But for the rest of us to actually like a modern desktop, that's a problem. What's that joke? Uh, Ubuntu is an ancient African word, meaning I can't install Debian. Oh! <laughs> I use Debian on my own personal server. I generally use Ubuntu server for most other stuff because it's just nicer to upgrade. Um, but I mean, one thing you can say from them is they definitely document stuff nicely because like their upgrade procedure and the gotchas and stuff like that, it's all really well done. Um, but I still don't like overly going through it just for the sake of making a balls of it yourself because you've only yourself to blame then where at least you could blame the upgrade package utility in Ubuntu for it if it did screw up. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. They've moved to Wayland by default. Mm. Before even you with Ubuntu, like, what's going on? Well, yeah, it's good to see. Um, I think that we'll, I'm pretty sure we will reconsider the Wayland position after the next LTS is out. But, um, yeah, it's good to see them putting their, their might behind Wayland. All right, so 24, definitely no Wayland by default then. Correct, yeah. Wow, so that means uh, 10 years. We talked about the 32-bit thing last time, but... 10 years potentially of supporting Exorg then. Uh, Exorg will outlive all of us. <laughs> yeah. The cockroach of the Linux world. <laughs> that's not very nice, is it? But um, yeah, that's, it's strange that something as conservative, a project as conservative as Debian, 
has moved to Wayland. I suppose, I mean, they, they do have um, accessions as well. So if if Wayland just fucks up for you, you can use Exorg. But it, by default, that's quite the bold step for such a conservative distro. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how people react to it. Um, it, it has got a lot more. Wayland has got a lot more stable in uh, in recent months or in the last year or so. But, um, yeah, it would be very interesting to follow that thread along and see how they get on with it. Uh, fingers crossed. I hope it works out for them. Do you not have any Debian servers for work stuff then, Phelan? Uh, just one no. Uh, for most of them, I would have picked Ubuntu, and the main reason for that is that if I got hit by a bus, clients could go to Canonical for support if they really needed it, um, whereas it's been a bit harder to get that for Debian. You can obviously go to a different company for it and stuff as well, but um, and also the up-to-date of packages i mean for for a lot of stuff it doesn't really matter but it's it's very handy for like say web servers and like where you you just need a later version of php and apache for whatever feature you need or all those things where you know being stable is great but if you don't have the the latest plugin for php and you're not getting anything like my next cloud continually warns me that i haven't got the latest security features and i should try get PHP 7.3, it's like, yes, but it's not in Debian yet. Thanks very much. But you'll be upgrading to Debian 10 then? Well, going by how I only upgraded from version 8 about three, four weeks ago, uh, I won't <laughs> hold my breath on that one just yet, but I will try to be a bit quicker this time. Oh, dear. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It is very much appreciated. And remember that if you go for $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an ad-free RSS feed, so uh, you don't have to listen to the ads or skip them. Not that you would do that, of course. Um, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support if you uh, want to join the various people who are doing that there. There's other means as well, apart from PayPal and Patreon, even Bitcoin, although I haven't checked that for a while. Well, that's gone up in value. Maybe I should. Uh, and if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Now, I... Very much dropped a bollock last time by not mentioning OGCAMP. Uh, tickets have been on sale for quite some time now. You can go for free if you want, but they're kind of trying to encourage people to donate by buying tickets. And this is, I think, the 10th anniversary spectacular, and I'm going to be hosting a panel there, uh, all being well. So that'll be pretty cool. It's in Manchester at the Manchester Conference Centre, which is in the Pendulum Hotel. It's right in the centre of town anyway. It's October 19th and 20th, although that, that's the Saturday and Sunday, the Friday night before there's usually a piss-up as well. So, uh, yeah, do come to that and go to ogcamp.org if you want any more uh, information about that. So any of you lot coming or have you all got your excuses in? I haven't thought of my excuse yet. I think I'm away that weekend with work. Oh, no. I, I should be able to make it. I've not, but I have actually got a ticket. Um but I haven't made any logistical arrangements yet or booked any accommodation. I really want to go. So hopefully I'll be there. Yeah, well, the venue is a hotel, so you can stay there. Um, or there's various other hotels like, you know, Premier Inn and stuff like that. Um, I can't remember which one I booked now. I think it was either Premier Inn or Travel Lodge. But anyway, it's pretty close. It's right near Piccadilly Station, Manchester Piccadilly. So come to our camp. It'll be great. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CDN77. Go to cdn77.com, and they are a UK-based CDN provider with a standalone live streaming platform providing end-to-end video solutions. They sponsor loads of great projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, Gentoo, and Funtu, and one of their standout clients is the European Space Agency. 
who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all around the world. And this CDN is built from over 500 servers, all running Debian, and most of them are physical servers, only a few of them are VMs. And everything is developed in-house by CDN77. They make their own DDoS protection, and through the optimizations that they've done, they can push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine. They've got 30 points of presence in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, with daily peaks regularly exceeding 4 terabits per second. They're really big on innovation as well. They were the first CDN to implement features like HTTP2 and Broccoli compression. But most importantly, it's really easy to use. I hosted an episode of the JRS podcast on there, and it was really easy to put the file on there and link to it. And I've had no complaints about the speed from people downloading it all over the world. They've recently launched some new monthly plans with the best value on the market from $9.99 per terabytes as a global flat rate. And they've also got a pay-as-you-go option with no commitments and full transparency. They've got a 14-day trial with no credit card needed, so go to cdn77.com and sign up there. And once you've done your free trial and you're ready to go for the paid option, then mention Late Night Linux to the sales or tech support team and you get an extra first payment bonus. So, for example, if you topped up $1,000, you'd get an extra 400 on top of that. So go to cdn77.com, sign up, and start delivering your content. All right, then. Well, as teased, Graham and I both bought Raspberry Pi 4s and have been playing with them for the last couple of weeks. So, Graham, what, what's your first thought on it? Did you enjoy plugging it into two different displays? <laughs> well, I suppose you've got, you've got right to the main issue. Yeah, my... My tiny little cheap Chinese manufactured screen with a really nice kind of HDMI loop circuit on it won't fit on the uh, Pi. But I will say that, like, it's amazing. I think it's an incredible little device and great value for money. And lots of there's lots of things to kind of pick it apart because it's quite a, a big update on everything in every aspect, really, and something I didn't expect. But overall, you know, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it feels a lot faster, even though it's only... It, you know, on paper, it's like 1.5 gig as opposed to 1.4. When you update, it's small things like app to get update um, and app get upgrade. Those things happen. So you, they take an age on the older Raspberry Pis. And it's so nice to have something that's close, feels much closer to be, being a PC, which it is. Effectively, it is. I'm really not too sure about the two micro mini HDMI ports. I don't know. Yeah, I just bought um, a pack of two from Amazon, Amazon Basics, they're only three foot long, so like 90 centimeters or whatever. So they, they're not going to do you if you've got to root it behind tellies and stuff. But if it's just sitting on your desk, like for me, then it's no problem. And I did check it out with two displays, and that was quite cool. Um, but I've mostly been using it with my um, just standard one, which is 1440p. Now, that is what struck me first with all the other Pies and like other weird things that I plug into this display you just generally either only get 1080p or you get the overscan with the black box around it, whereas it just worked perfectly, 1440p, nice and crisp. 60 frames a second. Uh, I believe so, yeah. Mine, it's not a super um, high refresh rate. This is not a gaming monitor or whatever. That's why it was cheap. Yeah, I think with the two HDMI ports, if you use them both, it goes down to 30 per output. Yeah, yeah. But with one, you get 60, so... It just was absolutely fine. The um, unfortunate thing is it doesn't support USB boot yet, or last time I checked it didn't, certainly at launch. And so, because I thought with the, the Pi 3B Plus, 
um, you can just DD your image onto a USB stick and boot it from that, and it's much quicker than an SD card. So I did that, and I was like, why is it not working? Oh, have I got it in the wrong port or whatever? And then I did a Control-F for USB boot, and in the comments, um, Eben had said, no, it doesn't support that yet. Yeah. I think it's the same with NetBoot. I think that's going to come as well, just like it had with the other ones. Yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of a regression, but it's not the end of the world. I've got a pretty good SD card, so it's all right. And the other things I like in terms of the hardware, the, there's more alternate modes for the GPI open. So there's more thing, more SPI connections. You know, more. It's still backwards compatible with like hats or whatever they were on the first Raspberry Pi, but at the same time. When you need more SPI pins, for example, which I do actually, because if you if you connect an OLED display, um, a couple of knobs and a few buttons, which is the kind of stuff I do, then you do run out, and it's nice to be able to have more of those. Um, Bluetooth five, I think in theory that means you can connect to multiple devices, and I use that as well because I do have a Raspberry Pi as a Bluetooth host for like an Amazon Echo just to play music on a, an actual amplifier. Um, those kind of small things make a difference. Did either of you buy the uh, official power supply? I think we both got it from the same source, didn't we? I mean, it was you that told me that they were in stock, Joe. So they seem very close to being official, but I don't think they are. No, it is branded with um, OK Go, I think it's called. No, not OK Go. That's a band, isn't it? OK Do. The OK Do, that's it. That's one letter out, damn it. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, that the power supply, I thought it didn't seem like massively high quality to me, but it does work fine. And it turns out that it's a bit picky, isn't it, the Pi? I've heard mm. reports of various people trying to use other phone chargers and stuff and it just not working. So I'm actually quite glad that I was forced to buy that power supply. I can see why they did it. They didn't want complaints, maybe. There's a big story um, this week that the they're actually the circuit that they've tr- engineered themselves for USB-C charging. And this is a USB-C port. So it's something like three amps, so you can power many more things with it. But the circuit that they've designed is non-standards compliant, which means it breaks with lots of, I think Apple chargers, for example, won't work and stuff like that. There's going to be quite a few that won't. Maybe there's a dongle that you can buy. (laughs) Yeah. Can I just take this opportunity to say, fuck USB-C and its lack of standards? Like It's got this standard port that's reversible and it should be amazing, but why is it that this this iteration of USB is just so non-standard and you've just got no clue. Can it do data? Can it do charging? What power can it draw? Oh, it's mm. just so fucking annoying. But I'm just very glad that I got that power supply is all I can say. My OnePlus 3T has a USB-C port on it that I charge it with and at night time in the dark when I plug it in I don't have to plug it in wrong, plug it in right, plug it in wrong three <laughs> times in a row. I'm very happy. Yeah, USB superposition as it used to be. <laughs> No, I agree with you. And I mean, there are even reports of people damaging hardware with, you know, just by plugging in the wrong cable. And that should never have happened. How was that allowed to happen? Yeah, I think that might be part of why Evan was kind of downplaying um, USB-C and saying micro USB was good, but they obviously had to bump it up to USB-C to get the the power in there. But it does mean that you can just plug in uh, a hard drive and it will just spin up and work properly over USB 3.0. And I did try that and got some pretty good speeds. Not like amazing speeds, but much better than the uh, 3B+. Yeah, and I actually think the SD card now is the Achilles heel. I mean, it's always been a bit problematic, but you kind of accept it. But now that everything else is kind of relatively modern, I, I mean, I've I've corrupted 
an SD card just this week, you know, just with the power coming out and having to like try and fix it and go through all those kind of arcane rituals on a normal PC to get it back again. Um, it just seems so wrong using an SD card. At least MMC would be a nice option. Yeah, but that would have put the price up, wouldn't it? Yeah, but maybe, maybe on the four gig ones for, you know, the, us wealthy types. Yeah, maybe if they'd made it, because it was, what, $35, $45, $55, which after tax and stuff works out about the same in pounds. So if they'd made it maybe 60 or 70 quid with at least, I don't know, maybe 16 gigs of storage on board just for your OS or whatever, that would have been nice. That's the buying the new PC paradox where it starts off cheap and you think, great, I'm going to have a great new PC, but oh, I could double the memory for an extra bit of quid. And oh, if I did that, I could do this. Yeah. Um, One thing I did notice, I sent you guys a picture from uh, a guy on Twitter and he had done a infrared camera photo Mm. of the Pi 4 and uh, it looks hot. Let's put it that way. Uh, He's tested on its own. Uh, one with a Pimeroni heatsink and again with a Pimeroni fan shim, whatever that is. I've never seen one before. Um, and it seems to make a colossal difference. Like it looks like it goes from about 80 all the way down to about 20 with this thing on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is like in relative terms, it's actually quite cool. If you compare it to the surface of the sun, for example, then it's <laughs> basically freezing cold. But if you compare it to my hand, then it is fucking dangerously hot. Um, it needs it needs a heatsink at least, and ideally a fan. Yeah, but you know, it's like, I, I, is anyone here old enough to remember when x eighty six processors didn't have a heatsink or fan? Yes, yeah. And then at some point they started to get heatsinks, and then at some point they started to get fans. And uh, are we at that point now with ARM devices? It <laughs> looks that way. Well, my Amiga hasn't got a heatsink on its O six O. Does it work? <laughs> it does, but it must it must get to 80 degrees. Yeah, and like I said on Twitter, I wouldn't want to give this to a small child unattended, quite frankly, because I think it's dangerously hot. Now, they did push out a new firmware for it, um, which was really professionally hosted on Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> but better than curl. Well, yeah, but still, so you had to just run this random binary as root. Yeah, love doing that. And it helped a little bit. I don't know, did you do that, Graham? No, I didn't. And I think you're right to bring this up, actually. I mean, mine's idling now, and it's probably about... It's doing nothing. It's like 0.1 on top, um, and it's it's 56 degrees, and it's too hot to touch. And as soon as you do anything, that ramps up to like 65, which, as you say, will hurt. Yeah, you can get a few degrees off by using this new firmware, but it's still... I, I think that... They should have shipped it with a heatsink. Has it got a heatsink mounting hole or anything like that? I mean, because how are these heatsinks getting stuck on? Because it doesn't seem to me to be a very good idea to put a heatsink on then just kind of sticker it on there. No, what you do is you get some toothpaste. Good. <laughs> All right, yeah. Yeah, all this thermal paste bollocks, it's just a scam. Just use toothpaste. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, boss. It's a shame, really, because otherwise it's just so fast and... It, like I was using it today as um, just a desktop, just to sort of prepare for this show, doing a bit of research and um, reading some news stories and stuff. And okay, it's not as fast as my i5, obviously, but for basic web browsing now, it isn't painful. It's a little bit slow and a little bit frustrating, but I think even with the 3, I don't know, the 3 was getting there, but now... It's it's not a painful experience. That might be damning it with faint praise, but um, 
Did, did you try a bit of that, Graham? Yeah, I have. I mean, as I said, I didn't get the HDMI ad- adapters, but I did set it up on VNC. And one of the things you immediately notice is that I've always kind of run VNC um, desktops off the Raspberry Pi for one reason or another. But now it's really quick with the gigabit unrestricted um, Ethernet plus the extra RAM. Um, it really works well. It, it's you know the the desktop itself is kind of austere. They've made made it. They've flattened it and they've done some design tweaks. But yeah, I loaded up uh, LibreOffice and it works. You could use it. It's it's actually perfect for like an educational computer. Do you miss out on the hardware acceleration of a VNC though? Yeah, you do. You do. You don't have any of the OpenGL acceleration. So yeah, it, I couldn't have wobbly windows, which I miss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did anybody try playing back any HD video? Yes. So um, first of all, with YouTube, and that works fine. And then I YouTube DL'd it, and at least at seven twenty p, it was absolutely perfect playback. And um, just playing through my shitty monitor speaker um really thin but yeah i can plug headphones in and whatever so yeah it's you could use this as a media machine no problem yeah i didn't try it but i've got a raspberry pi 3 running kodi and plugged to a tv and that because of the hardware acceleration and i've got the unlocked codex it always it does really well i think i've said before it's one of the only units that will play um 3d files off off blu-ray um, because of because of the hardware decoding, which is incredible, because that's effectively two 1080p streams for each um, for each eye, um, and also it's worth mentioning that when Valve dropped Steam Link, which was this like hardware um, kind of front end box for playing games on your PC with a, on your television with a very small set top box, they created binaries for the Raspberry Pi, and I tried that out, and that worked really well. So. It makes a great replacement for something like the NVIDIA Shield, which is like 150 quid. And this is brilliant for like low latency gaming. I discovered something today um, because I wanted to try out a fresh installation of Raspbian. And because Debian 10 has come out now, which is what this version of Raspbian was based on, you have to run apt update, pseudo apt update, and accept the change from testing to stable. And that breaks the the welcome config thing that they have. It just just freaks out and just doesn't work. And you can only assume that's because they just didn't think of that because they based it on a version of Debian that wasn't fully out yet. And so before, it would um, make you change the password, um, do your updates uh, and reboot and everything. But now... It doesn't do that. That just breaks and you have to know, you have to have enough experience to know that you have to do apt update via the terminal. So that is a bit shit really. And that, I don't know, it, it kind of shows that as far along as Raspbian has come, they still are a bit inexperienced when it comes to software and what it means to be in charge of a distro and do the relevant testing and everything. It's, it seems like it was just an oversight by them which I'm sure they'll fix in the next image, but just for now, if you've bought one and you have to wait or whatever and you're only getting it now after Debian 10's come out, then you're just not going to know what's going on potentially. I also noticed that there's no overclocking options in the Raspberry config um, tool. Yeah, that's because it might actually catch fire. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something to bear in mind. I don't know how it performs, you know. It, it could potentially perform really well if you get some water cooling on there. <laughs> it doesn't need a heat sink. It needs a hot plate instead. You can make a cup of tea directly in the cup. Yeah. 
Well, I did some benchmarks on it, and it performed very, very well. I mean, that brings me to their claim that it is as performant as a low-end x86 machine. Now, your definition of that varies wildly, doesn't it, depending on your point of view. Pemped into MMX. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be talking about something you can buy now. Now, I had a look around at what you can buy now, um, and you could get something for a similar price um, off Amazon or eBay, like reconditioned, like refurbished. I presume it's um, X sort of um, enterprise stuff, like, you know, mini-ish PCs. And they were going to perform much better than this, but they're going to use a lot more power than this. And they're a lot bigger and less convenient. So I don't know. What do we think of the claim that this is going to take on uh, x86 or at least going to be equivalent to it? Yeah, I think it will be. I think it it is. I mean, I think it's fine for most tasks. Um, In the things that I do, it's difficult to get excited about it, but... I'm sure, like in classrooms and places like that, it could have a huge effect, especially with, as we mentioned last time, having such a a standard and common form factor. And one of the great things about, like we said last time, is there's so much support. If you're trying to do something, it's highly likely somebody's already done it and already run into the same problems. All that together with the hardware, with hardware that's now capable of running as a desktop machine, makes a really great package. Some of the benchmarks I looked at suggested that it was up to three times quicker for certain tasks than a Pi 3 even, which is an enormous increase. And yeah, I think with you're running a, a lightweight desktop environment, you've got Chromium with hardware acceleration, although that's broken at the moment, they say they're going to fix it. Then I think, yeah, you can do absolutely everything that you would need to do on a computer on one of these $55 devices. It's incredible. And I know a lot of people, you know, like ourselves might be using for kind of odd projects or TV centers or whatever like that. But the fact that when it is used in uh, an education environment, it's designed to be used in bits and with wires plugged into. So there's no hidden sort of layer of what you are and aren't allowed to do. It's a, you know, there's some great stuff out there with like the camera module, you know, how to get all sorts of different ways of getting the raster off the uh, sensor and things like that. And it's that sort of whole market of all the the gpio ports and pins i mean that's fantastic it makes it such a cool sort of engineering slash educational project for anybody like yeah and the four gig of ram is a a big boost as well as the performance and i thought it was interesting that i think i saw that evan thought that the one gig or the two gig was going to be more popular than the four gig but i'd have i'd have put it my money on the four gig don't you mean eight or 16 gig (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I think he said it's also possible. Yeah, he said he said it was a typo for the eight, though. Yeah. But yeah. he said it could theoretically do sixteen. We just can't get it, any chips designed like that right now. So yeah. you heard it here first. Sixteen gig is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny that in the literature that comes with it, the leaflet thing, it says that it's for the uh, one slash two slash four and eight gigabyte models. And they claim that's a typo. Uh, No, a typo is, I don't know, getting a couple of letters the wrong way around. That is not a typo. That is, I don't know, maybe they were planning to have an 8 gig version and then that didn't pan out and someone fucked up or whatever. I don't know. But that's not a typo. I'm not having it. Um, And also, um, I made some notes about this. I was really professional for once. (laughs) And my final note is, DuckDuckGo is fucking shit. (laughs) (laughs) It works okay if you put in exclamation mark G after you (laughs) search. Yeah. 
I just uh, don't even like. I was trying to search for some stuff, and I was just like, ah, there's a reason why I just use Google. Use Start Page for the love of God. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say Start Page if you uh, if you care about not giving your shit to Google or whatever. But DuckDuckGo, I just don't get the fascination with it. It's based in America, therefore it is potentially subject to all the same shit as Google in terms of um, you know government agencies and everything. Uh, I just don't get the love for it. It's weird. It's like a cult or something. Oh, I want to quickly ask you about your synth thing. Um, <laughs> did you manage to compile the kernel or is that still ongoing? I have actually been able to compile the kernel, but I can't get the screen to work that I need to work. Right. So I, I had the same problem with the Raspberry Pi 3 and I actually destroyed my Raspberry Pi 3 because of the very stupid 3.3 volt pin being next to the 5 volt pin and I was messing around with a multimeter when I'm just being lazy and not doing it properly and so I still have the same problem that broke my Raspberry Pi 3 that I need to now problem troubleshoot with a brand new kernel on a new Pi um, so I've not got it working yet I see. Well, you'll have to tell us about that at some point, and we'll probably just fade you out halfway through or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, let me tell you about this synth. It's amazing. It's this, the Norns. The Nor- it's called Norns. It's silly. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Let's get out of here. Come on. Uh, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, in the meantime, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.